Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi, and welcome to Speak Up. This is Nadia, and today I'm joining you from the lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and Boonwurrung, Boonwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. I'd like to start by acknowledging the elders past, present, and emerging, and pay my respects. Today, we are going to be talking about um, New Year's resolutions and what that means as a professional and as a speech pathologist in particular. We have a series of three interviews. So I spoke to Kim, who had started a business in 2023, and just some of the reflections that she had. We spoke to Jen, who is somebody that we spoke to at the start of this year as a brand new graduate and the things that she wishes that she would be able to tell herself if she was reflecting back. Um, And between the two of them, there was a relatively prevalent theme of mental health and well-being throughout the year Um, and so as a result of that we've also spoken to somebody from an EAP so Matt was able to give us a bit of an oversight of what that would look like and particularly what that would look like if you are a sole practitioner or in a small business and some of the supports and benefits that that can provide from there as well. I did want to just start out by acknowledging that we are going to be talking about some things that are a little bit difficult today so make sure that you're in the right space to be able to hear all of that. Um, We'd also like to take the opportunity to thank everyone for a really excellent 2023 and congratulate everyone on getting to this point. It's it's no small feat. There are a lot of there are a lot of challenges that come up in our day to day lives as speech pathologists, and we are certainly seeing an increase in the complexity and the difficulty potentially of the people that are walking through our doors. So this is an opportunity for us to reflect and think about the year that was and also think about the year that 2024 will bring. Um, So we hope everyone has a lovely um, festive season and a very happy new year and we will see you in 2024. We are now joined by Kim Adams. Hi Kim, thanks for being here. Hi Nadia, lovely to see you. So Kim, we thought it would be really nice to have a conversation with you about the year that you've had. So you started a business this year. Yes, I did. I took the big jump. I've always been very conservative in how I do things. (laughs) Um, So yes, I took the big jump and uh, I've gone out on my own this year and boy, has it been an eye opener. Yeah, I bet. Can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been? Um. I was lucky because um, I had um, a few friends that had gone out um, on their own at a time when I wasn't quite ready. So I did just two days a week towards the end of last year. And that experience um, helped me work out what it is that you really need to have in place before you even get started. Mm. Um, And I was also lucky that Um, I work in a particular field within um, speech pathology and so most people know my name. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to think about things like um, websites or um, how I was going to advertise myself. It was was pretty much word of mouth. Not everyone is that lucky. Um, But, yeah, it's something that you do need to think about before you really get started. Yeah. Are there other things that you wish you had known or that you that you did find out in those two days a week that were really valuable for that for this first year? Yes. Um, The things that I found the most useful or needed to know were 
NDIS codes for everything. <laughs> yep. Um, hopeless with those, but eventually, courtesy of some very nice um, plan managers, I worked out what the actual numbers were. Mm-hmm. I'd look at it, the document, and it was different to what they told me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Always good. But got there. Um, and then um, also, oh, I read... Um, the spa package about starting a private practice, that was gold and I would recommend everybody reads that before they jump into the deep end. We'll link that in the show notes, but that's actually just been updated in the last month or so, I believe, so that's great as well. Yes, it has. Um, I did download the new version (laughs) to see what I'd missed. I also, um, oh, you need an accountant, someone that you completely trust and you can ask just about any money question to um, and they find things out for you. So that was fantastic. Um, I think the best thing, though, for me in before I started was knowing I had enough resources. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who's been in the field for a while, um, I had quite a lot of, I had gathered um, resources knowing that I would eventually go out on my own. Uh, So that was really helpful. Um, That hasn't stopped me constantly buying new things because I get bored. Um, And um, also um, the group of friends I talked about before, we formed um, a support group for each other. So we're actually doing peer support together. And this year we've met sort of every two months um, and we bring an article, we do a case study, um, we might think about what are our actual needs in the next two months and can we organise to do that together or not. And so by the end of this year, we've reached the stage now um, where instead of doing the two, uh, the every two months, we're actually going to aim for two full days of supporting each other and learning together so that you've got someone to talk to Mm. and that someone to talk to is absolutely vital (laughs) so we um, have done we've we've planned our first day and our second day will be later in the year next year but um, those days together a we laugh b we um find out new stuff from each other and from other experiences. And that has been excellent. And in the meantime, we're very clever. We have Messenger. (laughs) And so we've got our own little tiny private group. And um, if we don't know something, it goes up on Messenger and everybody shares their ideas and thoughts. So we've really got a good connection between us on what are always very, it's always the complex um, questions that we have extra support so that's been um, absolutely fantastic and I would recommend that to anybody too. Yeah that's a really Um, interesting point as well the the other interviews that we've kind of done within this podcast there's been a bit of a focus on mental health and what you just said there about like it it sounds like going out on your own can be quite isolating and lonely at times is is that what your experience has been? Yes definitely Um, because you no longer have that Um, person nearby that you can ask a question to and you also um, are very much um, you get wrapped up in the day-to-day of what needs to occur and you don't think about um, I've got to learn this and I've got to learn that and how am I going to fit that into the time slot when admin takes every ounce of time that (laughs) you can possibly give it and that was that was a big learning curve (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if people are thinking about starting a business within the next 12 months, which a lot of people kind of are at this time of the year, um, what advice would you give them? Um, first thing, get the spa package, read it. It will help you. It will also help you think about your policies, um, which is something that I actually didn't think about. I knew I needed policies, but I didn't want to think about it much when I started. <laughs> yep. um, but I got there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the spa package, definitely do that. Um, to find a, find a friend, <laughs> even if you, I mean, use um, the member hub to even if yeah, you can you know, start idea. up um, a little group of your own so that you're local and you can meet up or if it's easier do it via video link. I'm actually lucky that I have two groups that I belong to. One that's general speech pathology stuff and the other one, which is my area. Um, So we've got a group of us in that area who are also supporting each other because it's really hard to find um, the time and where you can get the latest evidence from. And some Mm -hmm. people are always um, big readers and others are not. So um, if you're not a big reader, Find someone who is because they are a wealth of information. I would also think about um, things that can help you. So you have to think of the management program that you're going to use. Most people have tried um, a a few uh, in their journeys and um, choosing the one that you feel comfortable with. So um, I actually started by using a program I hadn't used before and that was a big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> use a program you are familiar with because yeah. it makes life easier um, and since I did that I just swapped over to that one I'm much happier everything runs and it's smooth and that's great I think that's a really important point because that's something that we quite often will have conversations with people about is that starting a business there are so many administrative tasks that you have no idea that are going to come up until they come up and then you're like oh my goodness I have no time associated with any of these sorts of things. And I think that's a really difficult balance with honing your clinical skills and then putting that in balance with like, I have so much here that I have to learn, but then I have all of these new administrative skills that I have to learn. And I think it's really quite challenging for people to know when they should start thinking about starting a business based on where they're at in their clinical journey. Um, And you said you've been out for a little while, would you have started a business earlier? Do you think it would have gone differently if you had? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think if when you think about all of the hats that speech pathologists wear, mm. it's really important when you first come out um, to, to really hone those skills. Um, I came into speech pathology as an older person and so I was very accomplished in my um, previous role, just bored. Um, <laughs> I um I hope they're not listening. Um, <laughs> I um then found that it still took me a good five years before I felt like I had everything um, tucked in nicely in my belt and my mm-hmm. pouch, and I could um, do things. I mean, I was um a, a silly person as I came out. I jumped at every opportunity that was made available to me, and. Even though I had all of this um, experience, that helped me in some ways, but lots of so much clinical stuff you've really got to get under your belt. Mm -hmm. And the one thing to take into consideration when you are going out um, as a um, 
um, a sole trader is that you will be faced with all sorts um, of presentations mm -hmm. and most of them are complex. So if you really haven't got that understanding of complex families, complex um, diagnoses, um, complex um, movements of how families work, um, it's not a smart move to go out straight away. Um, you really need to get your clinical skills on board so that you're not having to, I mean, your first year particularly, that is it's a Mount Everest climb again. Even though you've just done that, yeah. you've still got more to go uh, and it's worth really honing those skills. In fact, I would recommend that if you are a, um, a new grad, you go to a place where there are um, experienced people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the one question you should ask the people if you when you are applying is how many experienced people do they have in their company or their, the government business or whatever it is, mm -hmm. because that will tell you, A, is it a happy place to work because the experienced people won't stay if they're not happy, <laughs> and B, that gives you extra people to um, talk things out with, uh, depending on their structure. I mean, you'll probably have a mentor of some sort in there, but even so, extra people around just makes your life easier. So in the first instance, I wouldn't go out because you have to learn so much about business when you start. Um, and the admin is huge. So, yeah, don't don't do it when you're first out. Do it a bit later when you're feeling really good about your skills. Yeah, very sage advice. Thank you. <laughs> so I should say that even though I have stressed a few times about how much admin time takes up your time, mm -hmm. that shouldn't stop you from going out and being a sole trader. Um, I love being able to regulate my own time. Mm. I love being able to, I'm actually a mobile um, speechy. So I've got the drive time between clients, which I love too. Mm. I've always been someone who has driven. Um, and so that suited me down to the ground. I start at the time I want, I finish at the time I want, and that makes me happy. So if you're going to do it, do it by all <laughs> means. There are so many people out there that need our support from birth to death that please, please do it. Just do it with um, a little bit of wisdom behind you. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, that seems like a perfect place to leave it on. Thanks so much yeah. for your time today, Kim. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> We are now joined by Jen. So Jen was interviewed uh, at the start of this year. You're an early career speech pathologist and this was your very first year in practice. Yes, that's right. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like for you? Yeah, so um, I it, it's been hectic. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, a lot of things, surprising, a lot of things happened in the first year of, of, of work. And I think that's the same for a lot of my friends as well. Um, I think I have gone through, I guess, keeping in mind that this is my first like full-time work experience as well. Um, and like similarly, I had a lot of classmates who were on a similar boat. Um, and I think 
it's it just been a lot. <laughs> um, lots of things happening. I think a lot of things happening for my peers as well. Um, but yeah, I think probably just to start out with, um, I'll try and speak from the beginning. Um, I was working, I'm working full time at a community um, service. So I do a lot of mobile work um, Monday, Monday to Friday. And then during school term, I actually work on Saturdays as well. So I, I do oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, group therapy sessions with, uh, with, with the little kids working on the Saturdays uh, because last year when I was still a student, I was actually working there as an admin, as an AHA. And so I did actually do a little bit of that group work as well. And so I thought I wanted to continue that. Um, and so I did. Um, yeah. But yeah, so working five, six days throughout the year it was has been hectic yeah that, that yeah. that's probably all I can summarize it to be um <laughs> uh, so I guess but then that ended up being a really good learning opportunity for me um I think because of the amount that I worked I and, and this is coming from my own personality I'm someone who really likes to work a lot um <laughs> uh, but also learn a lot at the same time so I think one of my goals um when I came into the career was I wanted to learn everything <laughs> which is impossible I've learned I've been told so many times throughout the year that you can't learn everything which I, I agree with um but that was my goal and I think I do I do feel like I've learned a lot but there is still a lot to learn um but in the midst of doing that I think because I work so much um that I I yeah I, I think I thinking about doing getting a break soon so that yeah. that is yeah what's going to be happening well there is a break coming up very soon so yes, hopefully you can right. use some of that to rest yes, up yes yes <laughs> christmas christmas looking forward to it <laughs> yeah i bet <laughs> um what were some of the things that you now that you're at this end of the year mm-hmm. that you wish that you could have gone back and told february jen um a few things i think before February, so when I was actually a, still a student, I think I wanted I would have wanted to tell my student self when I was looking for a job to not rush into any job. <laughs> yeah, I think taking taking time to like really understand what I wanted. Um, mm. I think that would would have been a nicer transition into the workplace. Um, but then at the same time, I think I probably wouldn't have learnt what I did learn if I didn't just go straight into a job, I think, I think uh, pros and cons, right? I think it depends on, depends on what you are, I guess, looking for. Um, I think me jumping into the work has taught me what I don't know. And then therefore now I can be like, all right, now that I have a break, this is what I'm going to learn or this is what I'm going to like figure out what I need. Um, Whereas like, if I didn't just, if I didn't start working, I probably wouldn't know what I don't know. Um, so I think, but I, I would still tell my student self to think about think about things before kind of applying or like panic apply. I don't know if <laughs> other I don't know if other students have this as well, but I, I felt that like I was like I I just need to apply to jobs. Like I need to get a job. <laughs> yeah. That's what I felt. Um, I think yeah, it would be nice to take a step back and just like be patient with the with what I wanted to do. Um, but I think. I would tell my February self, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I have a lot of things that I wish I did, but at the same time, if I 
even if I said th- these things to my f- myself in February, so like I, I'm thinking like, uh, you should do some research on this, or you should do some learning on this, or you should find out more about this. But then I think at that stage, uh, when I was in February, I kind of knew that I had to research on these, but then I didn't know what to do in the first place anyway. Um, so things like, because uh, I, I, I guess, um, a little bit confusing now, but I, I, I the speech pathology is so broad. Um, there's yeah. so many fields um, yeah. and there's a lot of things that you know even after we graduate we go in and and there's a lot of things that we still don't know um, and I think that was the stage that I was at in February I, I didn't know a lot of things um, but I, I picked it up as I as I as I went and I, and I as I start working um, but even if I told myself if, if me myself telling my February self that you need to research on this topic or research on this topic I still don't feel like I would have done the right research anyway. <laughs> I probably would have been like, all right, I'll read up on this. I still don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's really true, isn't it? Because you need a, a little bit of base knowledge to mm. know when you're reading something, whether it's correct mm. or or what's going on with within all of it, whether it's relevant to what you're looking for. Yeah, I think I... I one of the one of the biggest challenges I had when I started working was my confidence in actually talking to my clients and talking to mm-hmm. parents. Um, and you know, no matter how much I practiced or I, I searched up videos on how to have these conversations, I still didn't really know how to do it until I actually did it a few times in work, yeah. right? Yeah. Actually, just doing it. Um, and yeah, I think regardless of how much research or or, or things I would have done in February I don't think that trajectory would have changed anyway yeah so maybe it was a matter of the some of that advice that you would want to have heard would be like things are going to take time and yeah, that's okay that's and right. you're going to learn by doing and yeah, yeah. that's a great lesson as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think so <laughs> fabulous um do you have any other things that you wish you had known going in I I think um and, and I think this comes from me having spoken to some students. So I did careers night at my, my uni um, a few months ago uh, and I spoke to some students and they asked, they kept, a lot of the students asked me, you know, uh, what kind of tips do you have yeah. um, going into the workplace? And I, I just told them, look, I think just work, just start, uh, just yeah. find anything or any place that you feel like you're, you'll be supported enough um, and then just do the work because that's like, I think no matter how much, exams you do no matter how much learning or reading you do you're not going to get you're not going to learn much or you're not going to get that experience enough to actually do the thing until you actually do it so like practicing and actually being in that spot um so I I just told them look I think your first year is just going into work and then just work (laughs) just do it just do it Uh, don't be scared about doing it don't think don't overthink about what you're going to do um if you don't know what you're going to do just take a break and then jump in and then just try um and then you'll kind of figure out what you don't know as you go mm-hmm. yeah. yeah no that's really good um was there any other advice that you were giving those students at that time or that you'd like to give any students or people starting uh, not in particular I think I, I have had people asking me you know how I managed the six days and how I managed two jobs yeah. <laughs> that's a great question um I I like to tell people don't do it <laughs> yeah I think that seems quite wise <laughs> Um, uh, if, if, yeah, if, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're a logical person, don't do it. That, that, that's the advice that I would give you. Um, if there is for any reason, 
uh, you have to do it or you, you're like me and you're like, you know what, I just want to do six days and see how it goes. Um, like they ask me how to manage it. I think when you're in that situation, when you're actually working it, you, you'll, you'll figure it out. I think mm-hmm. we all have a, um, I, I, I've, I've learned that most or if not all speeches are type A's. So we're perfect. Yeah. We're, we like to do things perfectly when we have everything planned out. And, uh, you know, we have we have you know, everything kind of set in place and we're very organized. And I think um, even if you, you get to a point where you're like, oh, there's so much to do and I don't know what to do. You, you'll know what to do. Like you well, well yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> Yeah, and even if you don't, like, that's what this is kind of about, right? Like, that you'll have supports around you, Mm -hmm. you'll have peers, you'll have supervision, and and going to those people and going to those sources and being like, I don't know what to do with this is, yeah. is really reasonable and fair. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think one thing that's really helped me in the, in the last few months is my company has a um, the EAP program, so the Employee Assistance Program. So I think Great. some of those, um, like thinking about, you know, if you do need some time off, uh, like ex- accessing some of those services or, you know, finding a colleague or, or someone outside of work that you can really like check in with. I think that's been really, I guess, um, that's also a learning curve for me because obviously it's my first full-time job and I, I had a friend who was also doing uh, their first full-time job and so we kind of connected in that in that space and so we talk about things in terms of, you know, the first year struggle. It's like we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the first year. We'll get there. We'll, we, we, and then we start to like explore things that like, right, like this, is, this hasn't worked for me this year so I'm going to change it next year and, yeah, so having that, that network and connection is, is yeah. Yeah, important. All right, look, before we let you go today, I'm really keen to hear what your professional goals are for, for the next year. In saying what I've been saying uh, earlier, I think uh, I have actually decided to go part-time. So I'm still seeing my clients um, and I'm still doing my two jobs, but I, I am cutting down my days just so I can, like I said, uh, manage my, my well-being a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, having some time off for myself. And I think that's probably my my goal next year is actually really just to recuperate and, and um, do spend more time myself to actually do the learning. Um, I find that because, you know, when we're working, we're always on the go, we're always on our feet trying to help our clients, but we don't actually get time to sit back and go, all right, well, I don't know this. I'm going to spend the rest of today figuring out how to do this. Um, and so I decided that I'd take some time off to, to be able to do that. So my goal next year is really like, trying to hone in on the stuff that I, I don't know this year like I like what I like the skills that I'm like I need to work on this um and then you know targeting targeting that and, and really stepping up my learning a little bit um I think that's my goal and, and also taking care of my well-being just so I can maintain for the rest of the year and not not yeah. have that spike of like feeling like I'm, I'm about to burn out and then coming back down again and then you know like the the yeah so I think that, that was yeah this, this year this year because of how hectic it is I'm like next year I'm gonna try and make it so that it's not so uh up and down it's gonna be a little yeah. bit smoother hopefully and that'll set you up in good stead for the rest of your profession as yeah, well like the rest of your whole career yeah. yeah yeah that's a really great goal do you have any others that you're working on at this stage um not really I think I've I've just yeah uh I, I think that's I okay. That's a, a really good goal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so important. Yeah. Because I, I think that sometimes the pace of uni can be so fast. And yeah. then when you get into the, the real world, the workforce, mm. it 
you want to try and match that pace, but you're actually running on fumes from the fact yeah. that you've been working for so long and trying to get so much information yeah. into your brain that you need that time to consolidate and rest, mm. right? Mm. And I think, and I think that's the the struggle as well because when when you're in uni, you, you the, there's a few things like firstly you're doing a, a, a big part, a big portion of your um, uni life is is learning. Like you spend time learning, and so you you pick it up and then you do some placement so you get to apply some of that learning um and then the other thing is you're pretty much being told what you need to do so like this is a subject you have to do this is the placement you have to do all right do it whereas in work you know you start to pick up a lot of other responsibilities like you have to book in your clients and then you have to you know uh build that relationship with your clients that client is yours like you have to put therapy for them like mm-hmm. and, and you, you get a lot of other i guess work responsibilities that in uni you weren't really thinking about that right you're really just Mm -hmm. thinking about your exams and your placements and passing and then you kind of transition um and like I I thought when I came into the work that's why I was doing six days I was like oh no I was doing six days in uni I can do it um and now I'm like I think that was a bad idea (laughs) uh it's it's you get a lot more other types of responsibilities that you weren't expecting when you're in uni. And so that, that six day timetable is, it's much more, it's much less manageable than when you were in uni. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And less necessary as well, because, Mm. you know, when you were doing it at uni, you're probably doing that at least one or two of those days to, you know, make ends meet, ensure that you Mm. have food on the table Mm. and all of those things as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And now you don't necessarily need to do that because you Mm -hmm. haven't got uni taking up so much of your time. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah. Well, look, I think a beautiful, like, smooth and reflective transition into 2024 for students that are listening sounds mm-hmm. like a perfect way to set yourselves up. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the moral is don't panic, apply to jobs. <laughs> 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 I, I think, yeah, I think just taking care of yourselves and, and yeah. I, I think we're in a really uh, good position as speech pathologists where there, there really isn't a lack of work. Um, yeah yeah so there's so much work out there um, there's so many need for and demand for speeches um, and you you know you want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself so that you can actually take care of your clients um, yeah it yeah. sounds cliche doesn't it but yeah. at the end of the day it really is the thing that helps you make sure that you that you can turn up and that you can give everyone your all and that like you said you've got that rather than that roller coaster that you've got like a steady um, steady road forward to be able to stay in the profession for mm. 30, 40, 50 years, whatever right. it might be. That's right. And we don't want people leaving, unfortunately. No. <laughs> that would be so, yeah, because yeah, like we're already, I, I've, I've spoken to a few people who, who, who've known classmates or friends who were in this profession and they left because, you know, they were having a hard time. So, you know, we want to, I guess, ensure that you know, we're taking care of ourselves so that, that doesn't, it doesn't get to that point. Thank you so much for sharing your insights today. It's been so nice to be able to hear from you at the start of your first year out and at the end of your first year out and compare those reflections. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. So we are now joined by Matthew Walter from Acacia EAP. Hi, Matt. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Nadia. It's my pleasure. Could you start us out with just telling us what an EAP is? 
Absolutely. It's a good question. I think it's oftentimes three letters that are bandied around workplaces, particularly in HR teams, maybe more risk teams now. But what does it actually mean for individuals? So EAP stands for Employee Assistance Program. Uh, again, what does Employee Assistance Program mean? What, what, what are you assisting us with? Well, really, it's a program that's designed to provide short-term solution-based, and I deliberately say those slowly because that's exactly what it is, short-term solution-based counselling. Uh, counselling for a myriad of reasons. Uh, a lot of times I think people get in their head, oh, if I'm reaching out to EAP, I must have a mental illness or something similar. Absolutely not the case. In fact, we see that the vast majority of people that reach out to us are doing so now because they know they're potentially going to be in a situation that isn't going to be good to them, that they're going to be facing some obstacles, be that in their personal life or their work life, where they're concerned, what if I say the wrong thing? And EAP is exactly the support mechanism for them. It is their program in order to speak to a professional about anything that might be on their mind at any particular situation in life. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, look, you've already started touching on some of this, but can you tell us some of the benefits of having an EAP within your organisation? Mm, I, I absolutely can. And I think the proof is in the pudding in relation to EAP. Uh, when you consider that uh, one in four Australians at any given time, so anybody listening to this, uh, it might be yourself, or if not, it's likely to be three other people that you know, are going to be going through a level of mental health crisis uh, in any 12-month period. Uh, as we look into uh, 2024, it's highly likely, again, that another individual or yourself is going to be going through something. And if you do not have the appropriate support mechanism. We have lots of support mechanisms. We, we've got friends, we've got families, but whilst they may mean well, and oftentimes they do, being able to sit down and speak with someone that's potentially seen this situation, they understand from a clinical perspective, perhaps what the best thing to do is. And let's be honest, it's their job to sit there and listen to you. And being listened to can be really helpful. It's a great way in which individuals can improve themselves. They can grow resilience. Or when they're in a situation of things are really hard at the moment, I'm at the bottom of the barrel and I do not know how to get out of this, they're a helping hand that can really help objectively pull you out of that and potentially make things seem a little bit more manageable for you. Yeah, great. And I think that's really important as well is that it's wonderful to be able to rely on our natural support mechanisms, but there mm. is a point in time where we need to be able to um, go beyond that to ex get some extra support or even just to ensure that we're not feeling like that relationship is turning into a counselling relationship as well. A hundred percent, Nadia. I oftentimes use a, a physical because people seem to understand that. Uh, I know people can't see me, but for those of you that hear me, you'd be right in guessing that I am male and males are the worst at this. We, we're not very good at uh, speaking to people about how we're feeling. That being said, we can be quite good at speaking to people across a physical sense. What I mean by that is we wouldn't be shy to admit that we went to the gym this morning or, or lifted weights. Uh, we wouldn't be shy to admit that we're going to be participating in a marathon, for instance, and we've been training really hard for that. Mental health should be considered exactly the same as that physical health. Mm -hmm. uh, what I mean by that is when we consider things like 
why am I going to the gym? It's not necessarily because I've got a broken leg. It's not necessarily because I think anything particular at the moment is wrong. It really is due to the fact that I want to get stronger. I want to get fitter. And whilst, yes, absolutely, Acacia provides services for everybody on what we call the mental health continuum, regardless of whether you're having the worst day possible from a mental health perspective, or you jumped out of bed full of beans, all the way through that continuum, we're there to assist people. Similarly speaking, you might go to the gym to get fitter and to get stronger and you should really start to consider mental health like that as well the more we invest in being able to see a personal trainer or a personal trainer for the mind uh, the more we're able to become stronger build resilience and as a result of that be a much better person for ourselves our families and of course our colleagues and in this context our patients as well Great, thank you. Um, a lot of speech pathologists, a lot of SPA members are sole practitioners. So mm. they're people that work on their own um, and that can be quite isolating. But I think a lot of people would say, oh, I don't need to have an EAP because it's just me. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that would look like for somebody that was in that position? Mm. Isolation's a real thing and mm. it's obviously an inevitability in a lot of fields of work as well. Acacia support but well over 2,000 organisations and there are a number of those that are in similar positions. Um, you consider optometrists, for instance, that they may be sitting in a dark room for up to eight hours a day, staring into people's eyes, doing an incredible service, but perhaps they don't have that same level of physical connectivity. Now, two reasons that it's really, really important, particularly in that situation, to have that uh, knowledge that you've got an extra level of support is one, we as humans, and maybe we can talk about this when we talk about New Year's resolutions, Nadia, but uh, we as humans aren't the best at self-reflecting and we're very good at putting on facades. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, oftentimes we have a tendency just to kick down that little niggling voice, uh, push it down somewhere and then We'll deal with it later. Unfortunately, later rarely comes. And when it does, that relatively small little niggle is now a big monster and it looks insurmountable. Now, one way in which we advise that individuals can get a sense check on how they're doing from a mental health perspective is by interacting with their colleagues. Uh, we spend so much time with the people we work with now that oftentimes we're very well placed to notice signs in them and they're very well placed to notice signs in us. Now, you remove that collegiate experience and you're by yourself. Uh, yes, you've got that patient interaction, but it's going to be a very different situation patient or client to the speech pathologist versus a friend that can potentially be a little more real with you. And so if we're not self-auditing, we don't necessarily have that ability to correct uh, potential thought patterns or behaviours instantly. What that means is it's likely by the time we actually come to grips with the fact that, yeah, actually, I'm really struggling at this point in time, we need to be able to reach out. And we've already discussed the merits of families. And yes, your families, your friends, they're there to support you. But at the end of the day, they're not mental health professionals. Uh, similarly, and I'm sure there's a lot of relevance here, uh, you wouldn't expect someone that was having issues with speaking to go to their parents to try and help them. At some juncture, there's going to be a need to request professional support. You knowing that you've got that lifeline, even if you never use it, I'd encourage each of you to use it all the time. Like going to the gym, it's going to make you better. It's going to make you fitter. But absolutely, it's imperative, particularly when you're by yourself, uh, that you're checking in and checking in with someone that can potentially notice those signs in a very unscary way and make sure that you're the best possible you can be. And I think 
some people would say, oh, well, I have, um, you know, mental health supports that are separate mm. from my work for those purposes. And and I think that that is possibly very true of a lot of people in, in the way that they are structuring what they're doing. One of the things that I think potentially we need to be thinking a little bit about is that, you know, we are constantly being speaking to people about the fact that they have waiting lists as long as their arms. Mm. Um, and it's pretty reasonable to assume as well that, most psychology services would have a very similarly long waiting list, whereas with something like an EAP, that's pretty uh, a bit more immediate. Is that right? I, it definitely is. Um, I can only speak to Acacia, but you give us a call. You don't just need to give us a call. You can use our appointment hub, similar to Hot Dog Online. Send us a text message, an email. Uh, almost instantly, you're going to be speaking to someone in Australia that really wants to get a good understanding as to how we can best support you. And they'll connect you with the best possible clinician. Now, there's the question of uh, it's free of charge as well, which it is because uh, it's something that's provided by your employer uh, versus you needing to pay for it yourself. Now, free of charge can assume that, oh, well, if it's free, does that mean it's a cheap service? And we do hear that. Absolutely not the case either. A lot of people actually see their clinicians under EAP or following EAP. They may determine that, yeah, actually, I want to keep seeing this clinician. They're the same level of professionals. I think really what it boils down to, if we're honest with ourselves, is people feel that work and life should be disconnected. We talk about work-life balance a lot. And sure, in a perfect world, we should be able to get home at 5 p.m. and forget about work. Similarly speaking, when we're at home, there used to be this mindset, which obviously isn't true, that we'll leave all our worries there, we'll get into work, and we're just there to focus on work. That is not the case. The ubiquity of technology and work necessitates that issues that happen at home come into the workforce and vice versa. Um, now, to close that loop, what I was going to suggest is people have a reluctance to reach out to EAP because what if what if my peers know that I did this? They aren't going to be able to figure out I'm seeing someone privately, but if it's a work-sponsored thing, maybe they will. Or what, what if my boss finds out and they think that I'm not coping and maybe that'll mean that I, I can't, I can't keep doing my role. I'm not fit for duty. Uh, really important to mention that all EAPs actually are bound by law in terms of the privacy of their clients. Very similar. In fact, it is uh, that client uh, clinician confidentiality is bound by law in such a way mm -hmm. that every conversation that has is de-identified. You've got complete anonymity and your privacy is a hundred percent Kept in. So yes, we, we talk about long waiting lists and sure, uh, I'm not here because uh, I think that we're all allies in the mental health space. I'm not here to suggest that any other mental health professionals aren't doing a wonderful role because they are. If you're seeing them, fantastic. Uh, but if you can get additional support, particularly in that short term environment, hey, we want to have three, four sessions where we can really look at one particular issue, understand some tangible tools we can use to conquer that issue and then perhaps have a think about, well, what are we going to do longer term, which absolutely could be uh, jumping onto a, a mental health plan and getting further support. Let's do that. But you, you've got this free of charging, incredible service at your fingertips, knowing that your anonymity is going to be protected. Why, why wouldn't you use it would be my question.
Yeah. And some of the things that you've touched on there, I think would be great to talk a little bit further here. And mm. I think for a lot of people, um, professional New Year's resolutions are things mm. that we think about at this time of the year, going into the new year. Um, and for helping professions like speech pathologists, we can be really prone to putting the needs of other people ahead of our own needs as well, mm. which is true of, of, of a lot of professions. Um, do you have any helpful tips about putting some boundaries in place or some things that people could take home and start trying to implement um, in the new year or even sooner? Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head there. I understand the uh, catalyst for New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. the start of the year. Let, let's do something new. But similar to almost everything, if you feel a behavior is going to be healthy for you, why wait until the 1st of January to start actioning that? Give yourself a head start. Uh, very similar to diets. Look, I, I understand myself as well. Christmas is far too tempting for a diet. Um, to get a little more serious, uh, the, the Christmas period, holiday period, if you don't celebrate Christmas, it's difficult for a lot of individuals. The stresses that are put on people are high. It could be financial stress. We, we know what's happening with interest rates. Um, we, we could have recently loved someone. This is going to be the first Christmas without them. That, that's really, really difficult. Uh, setting yourself up to be the best possible you and when I say that I mean having the resilience understanding that it's okay not to be okay and entering that situation with a bit of an action plan in terms of that mental health so so important it's going to benefit you and it's likely to mean that uh, that holiday period you have is going to be much more successful and fingers crossed a much more joyful occasion now touching on the fact that medical professionals tend to put their patients before themselves. It's absolutely true. Uh, we arguably support more healthcare and human services, which is quite a broad category uh, that certainly would involve uh, speech pathologists, hospitals, aged care, a lot of different industries like that. Uh, we notice two particular themes that emerge, and I, I wonder if I can get a little bit geeky in, in terms of psychology to quickly explain <laughs> what those two are. When we know that something exists, I think it's a lot easier that we can then start to ha have a little bit of understanding in and around, okay, well, what does this mean to me? Uh, so there, there's two terms, one being compassion fatigue uh, and one being vicarious trauma. Uh, many of you may already have heard of that. I can see you nodding there as well, Nadia, which is great. And it's so good we have the awareness of them. Uh, compassion fatigue, if you take those two words, it's quite simple as to what that is. When you're speaking to somebody and perhaps they've been struggling with a particular speech issue, uh, I'm not a speech pathologist, so I'm not, not going to pretend I know the ins and outs, but it's likely that you're going to see um, individuals that are anxious, that are frustrated, uh, perhaps family members or, or loved ones that are really getting to that point of, I really want them to be okay. I want to see improvement. Now, the more we take that on, and as humans, and given that we're empathetic, we're likely to take that on, it, it starts to build up. There's only so many times we can see people suffering or, or in pain or in a really challenging situation uh, without it starting to build up, build up, build up. And suddenly it feels as though we're carrying the heaviest weight in the world. And now there's two responses to that. Uh, one is a, a complete burnout and exhaustion, which is an optimum for your patient. It is an optimum for you and it's not optimum for anybody. Uh, and we, we need to be able to lighten that load. Now, the second thing that can happen, which leads to burnout as well, is we want to invest more and more and more into those individuals. Now, if investing in them and working harder and harder and harder on them 
means that we're <laughs> quickly approaching that uh, burnout rate, it's not actually, again, being beneficial to anybody. When we talk about boundary setting, one of the hardest things that we can potentially do as human beings, particularly human beings in an industry that are so good at serving their community, they're so good at helping people, they thrive off that. And that's an amazing thing. But we can't do that if we're burnt out. We, we can't do that if compassion fatigue builds up to such a point that we, we're exhausted and we literally can't get out of bed to get into work because, well, we don't really know why. We just know we're emotionally exhausted. So setting boundaries is, is really important. Now, there's a number of ways in which you can do it, but I personally subscribe to the simpler, the better. And the simplest way to set boundaries is to actually acknowledge that you need to. Um, for that reason, for no other reason aside from, hey, I need to keep working because I want to be able to serve my patients. Well, no, if you keep doing that, you will get to a point where you can't serve anybody. So let, let's just assume that that's a reality. And then let's assume, okay, well, what, what's an appropriate length. Now, I don't have the answer to that. Uh, that really is between yourself and your individual work situations, but you certainly need to reach a point of understanding that, okay, well, if I can give work 10 hours a day, it sounds like a lot, but let's say eight hours a day. That's great because it means that I can do that consistently and, and sustainably for the rest of my career. Now, what I actually need to do is tell people that there are some tangible tips here in terms of doing that. You don't need to go around and tell everybody, hey, I'm only working eight hours a day. Maybe you're going to lock out your diary so that you've got specific recovery stages in that diary so that people know that that's the case. Uh, you could communicate it. Uh, for those of you that do have people that book your appointments, perhaps you might say to them, hey, I'm only taking four appointments a day. Uh, you don't need to explain it to them, but you might want to. That's the best thing for me, but it also means that I'm going to be delivering the best possible care to um, the patients that I'm speaking to. Uh, from there, what we then need to do is we've acknowledged we need boundaries. We've had a thought about what they may be with a specific, measurable, uh, achievable sort of framework in there because we need to make sure that they are. What we then want to do is hold ourselves accountable to them, knowing that we can be flexible. Hey, next week, I know that I've got a lot on from a personal perspective, or I know that I'm seeing a patient that's going to require extra work. Maybe I need to adjust those boundaries now. And maybe I need to get an understanding as to what this week looks like so that I, I can really ensure that I'm there to care for these particular individuals without burning myself out so that next week I need to take a week off. So compassion fatigue, that was a very long explanation, but hopefully some helpful tips there. The second is vicarious trauma that we spoke about. Vicarious trauma can be a little bit harder to describe, but much harder to know that it's happening to us as well, because it's somewhat insidious. A vicarious trauma is likely in those situations where you're not just feeling sad for someone, but you're actually experiencing trauma. Uh, Something has happened uh, with an individual that means that, that they've gone through something horrific. I'm not going to postulate as to what that is. From a psychological perspective, we know that there's a myriad of reasons and a lot of them unpleasant as to why people perhaps have uh, some issues in, in terms of being able to articulate themselves properly. Now, when we hear those stories, we're not just a spectator. We're not just watching a movie. Uh, oftentimes, unbeknownst to us, we're taking on little pieces of that trauma ourselves. We're understanding, we're hearing. What we don't know is that a little bit of that's coming into us and hiding itself somewhere. Now, the more that that builds up, the more and more we're going to become less resilient. Uh, the more we're going to be facing situations that are suddenly triggering to us. And we don't really know why that they're triggering. We just know that something inside of us is recoiling from this particular situation. 
Now, the best way, and absolutely when we talk about the benefit of EAP, uh, the best way to get a gauge is to, well, do I have vicarious trauma? Is after those situations uh, where you've heard something traumatic, reach out to somebody. It's so important that we actually work through that conversation. You're not stealing someone else's grief. You're not stealing someone else's trauma. What you're doing is working through it so that you're then in the best possible position to actually be able to provide support to that individual. Again, sustainably and long-term. A really long answer, but in terms of what we can do, I think that boundary setting is so important. Start setting them now. Uh, starting to set boundaries in the near year, yes, it is absolutely achievable, but if it's achievable then, it's almost certainly achievable now. So start thinking about what, within the confines of your work commitments, of course, what you can take on and potentially what you can potentially put a boundary around. What can wait until tomorrow? Similarly speaking, uh, my call to action would be from an EAP perspective, you've got this incredible resource at your disposal. Uh, make sure that you can be there for your patients. And the best way to do that is to reach out and don't reach out when you're in the bottom of the barrel. Uh, when you're in crisis, we will absolutely be here to support you but it's going to be a, a much more enjoyable situation. If you're reaching out when things are just feeling a little bit eh, Talk about that physical health side of things again. I'd much rather treat a little cut myself with a bit of Benadine and a Band-Aid uh, versus having to go in for an arm amputation. I know that sounds dramatic because it's turned gangrious. And that's absolutely the same in mental health. When something's a small issue, we can jump on top of it quickly. We can rebound and we can be a better version of ourselves for it. And uh, when we let things grow and simmer and grow and simmer the stress the anxiety the depression right through to mental health breakdowns and we know the statistics in and around things like suicide in australia let's prevent that from happening by reaching out early so that would be my new year's resolution for each of you i'm going to reach out even if i feel fine i'm going to reach out and i'm going to have a chat with a clinician i'm going to understand that they're not scary it's actually a really enjoyable situation and most importantly i'm going to be proud of myself when i do because it's not weak to reach out for support it isn't weak to go to the gym and get those bigger biceps so to speak um, what is scary is reaching out and what's brave is being able to conquer that fear and say yep i need support and now I'm going to be a bastion of mental health in the workplace. When I'm speaking to another colleague, regardless of whether I work with them or at a particular industry event, I can tell them that story. Hey, I was struggling about six months ago with this particular issue. You know what? I reached out to Acacia. I had a chat with them. And what happened on the back of that? I feel so much better. I don't know what you're going through, but it seems as though perhaps you could do with it as well. Why don't you reach out? It'll be all right, I promise. My takeaways. Yeah, great. Thank you. And I think for some people, um, there are, I'm sure there are still some workplaces where there isn't an EAP in place at all. So having that mm. initial conversation of um, with their manager or um, supervisor and just saying, hey, maybe we could start having a conversation about this. And that could be something that they could implement in the new year as well, or ideally sooner. Um, 100%. If you don't have an EAP yet, speak speak to your organisation. Yeah. Explain to them the benefits, not just for you, but for them as well. <laughs> Leaders aren't psychologists either, but oftentimes they need to act like it. And so them having the right level of support in place is so beneficial also, 100%. As mentioned, I just hope that there are one or two little pieces of information that someone somewhere can glean and perhaps make a positive difference in their life as a result of it. Great. That sounds like a really nice place to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for your time, Matt.
Right, thank you, Nadia. What a pleasure. And if we don't speak beforehand, I hope you do have a Merry Christmas if you celebrate that. If not, happy holidays and a very uh, happy new year to you and to everyone listening as well. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.